Hello, and welcome to En Route, A Journey of Faith and Modern Life. I am Dennis Sanders, and I'm your host. For those who don't know about me, I haven't actually said this in a while, but I am an ordained minister, um, and I uh, pastor a church part-time that is located in the town of Matamidi, which is a suburb of um, here in the Twin Cities in uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul in Minnesota. And I started this podcast because it was a way of talking about some of the topics that I think people want to talk a little bit more about, um, politics and religion, and especially faith, and faith and where that intersects with our life. Because faith is not just something that happens in one sector of our life. It doesn't happen on one day in our life. It's something that happens in all all the time. And so we wanted this part purpose of this podcast is to talk about sometimes where faith and modern life intersect. I want to thank you um, if you have been someone that's listened before to say thank you for listening. And if you like what you're hearing, if you've been listening to this for a while, consider subscribing. Subscribing makes it a lot easier for you to get this podcast. You just get it, subscribe, and it will just show up. Um, in your favorite podcast platform. No need to have to search for it. Also, consider leaving a rating or review on your podcast platform, especially if you listen uh, through Apple Podcasts or what they used to call iTunes. Doing that makes it a lot easier for others to find this podcast. Also, Enroot has a YouTube channel. Um, you can check the show notes for the link, and when you're there, not every of the of the videos and videos are basically just um, the podcast on YouTube. But we're starting to try to make some of, some of the episodes there uh, with subtitles, which hopefully can help for people um, who maybe don't hear so well, and so now they can also follow along. Um, with the podcast. So again, check for the show notes for the link and then subscribe. Well, this is a very special episode. This is the one where I get to talk to one of my mentors. Doug Skinner is a retired pastor in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. That is the same denomination that I'm ordained in. He lives in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and we talk every so often via Zoom just to talk about what things are going on in our lives, and especially about theology. And so today you get to join in on one of those discussions. We talk about an experience that he had after um, a day of anti-racism training. And he brought up the subject of, to an answer to a question about what he was going to do about basically the further racial justice. And his answer was to take communion. And that brought up a lot of blank stares among fellow pastors. Now, in some ways, what's interesting here is that the language of the church used to be something that was very much intertwined with social justice. But in many ways, that's becoming more and more separated from each other. Topics like race and sexuality and gender or the environment 
all of those things are now seeming to be more and more separated from topics like the cross or Jesus or even just general theology and communion. And so we had a, a discussion about how that is, how they're becoming separated and how important it is for these, for the language of the church to be involved in, in the work of social justice. So I hope that you will sit back and uh, relax as um, I talk to my mentor and friend, Doug Skinner, about the divine act, the divine act of Christ's death on the cross, which is then, which we remember uh, and in communion and what all that means for the public square. Well, Doug, um, glad to have you here to talk. Uh, we do a lot of this on Zoom in the past, so this is kind of one of those discussions like that um, again. Just talk buddies, aren't we? we uh, yes. Yeah, we, 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 we do talk. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, the reason I wanted to have you on the podcast is there was a certain uh, Facebook post that you wrote a while uh, very recently um, that you were at a gathering, and the gathering was talking about a very contemporary issue, issue of race relations, and um, that the conclusion at that uh, meeting, it, there was an answer of what are you going to do to kind of further racial justice? And your answer kind of was met with blank stares. Um, <laughs> would you be willing to kind of share that story? Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, I'm, I'm a, in the Southwest region of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. And so um, to, to keep our standing, uh, we, have, we were required to do two continuing education. Uh, all of us, every, every clergy person is required to do one on, on uh, uh, you know, the sexual misconduct and boundaries, uh, uh, you know, every four or five years. And, and this recently have started um, uh, the anti-racism training. Uh, which is which is great, you know. I you know I think these are both these are both valuable. So I've I've done this this uh, this kind of this race um, training, um, you know, the, the kind of in, in harmony with our commitment to being uh, pro reconciliation, anti racism, and it and it was a good day, uh, you know. Uh, I, at the end of it, though, uh, we, you know, the question I think it's always a legitimate question: Now what? Okay, you know, we spent this we spent you know six hours talking about this. How how are we going to proceed? Yeah, what are what are you going to do? And in my little group, we were talking, and you know, I heard, I heard, you know, the books they're going to read, and the, and you know, the the the, the events they're going to go to, and the the videos they're going to see, and you know, it was it was all really good. And they said, so what are you going to do, Doug? And I said, well, I, th I think I'm going to go to church and take communion. Um, and the um, kind of this 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 uh, uh, like you say, blank stares. And um, you know, there there was no awareness that that what we do at the table. Um, you know, Sunday in and Sunday out would have anything to do with what we just spent the day talking about. When, to my way of thinking, um, you know, the, the 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 urgency and and the um, the emphatic nature of our commitment to anti-racism 
her reconciliation you know, springs, it's, it seems to me, from the table. You know, that's, you know, that, it, it's the table that, that sets that agenda for us because it is a table at which everyone is welcome because it's a table that points to the cross where, where uh, you know, God so loved the world. You know, it's, there, there, there are no limits to that. You know, and, when, and in the book of Acts, it seems to me, when, when boundaries were set, the, the work of the Spirit was to push past those boundaries, that, mm. uh, to, to break those down and to push further and further out so that, so that the, the love of God was understood to be all-inclusive. Why do you think that people didn't see the connection between um, communion and um, kind of racial reconciliation? There's a guy down here, Dennis, uh, who teaches at um, one of the universities who, who talks about, I think he's right, he, talk, he talks about how we live in a culture where uh, we, we, we don't connect the dots. Uh, he, he, he talks about we, we think and act in bits and pieces. And so we do this bit and this piece, and we don't connect them. You know, he, he, I heard him talk about that the, this is, um, we see this in, in worship, that, that we're not going to get the same people back every Sunday. You know, we're mm-hmm. that. Active church membership is what, every four weeks now? You know, uh, you know yeah. 12 times a year as an active church member. So you can't do sermon series anymore. You know, you can't, you can't build on things. You, in a sense, you're, you've got to start fresh every time. So we, we don't connect the, the dots. With Everything's bits and pieces. So, so in church, we, we do communion. That's one of the bits. And, and then we do something else. That's one of the bits. And they don't touch. Even larger than that is, is we, we do worship. You know, we do the, the things that we characteristically do as Christians in, in community and, and then, you know, the 11 o'clock hour comes, 12 o'clock hour comes, comes, we open the door and we head out into the world and we're not aware that what, that what we did in church was not an end in itself. You know, that was, that was supposed to be a place of moral and spiritual formation for what takes place in the world. But I, I, we don't, I don't think we make that connection. Um, um, whose fault is that? I don't know. You know, it may be ours as, as clergy, um, but but you know, it's that next step. Thing. You know, how do you know how do we take what we do on Sundays in community, and for us as disciples, right? Table is going to be at the center of that word and table. How do we take that and move it out into the world? I had a I had, I had a guy in one of my churches, one a leader, Dennis. I mean, this guy this guy was one of the leaders of the churches, and we were we were doing some planning, and one of the things we talked about was was how you know how we need to equip our people. Um, so that so that they can be better Christians in their neighborhoods and in their places of business and and in their families, you know that that we you know we really need to figure out how to do formation in communities so that um, you know witness is just an authentic part of who they are. And this guy who was a leader of the church said to me, "You you mean I'm supposed to I'm supposed to be a Christian at work?" Now, you know, you know, you know, Houston, we've got a problem. Um, uh, it, it, it was startling to me that, and he wasn't joking. You know, this, this was, this was not, you know, he wasn't being sarcastic or, or, uh, you know, facetious. This was, this was, he was, he was truly mystified that, that his Christian commitment had anything to do with his work life. Why do you think that is? I mean, that, that, <laughs> why do you think that something that uh, about faith, and I think faith, at least for me growing up was something that was spanned into everything in our life why do you think that in some cases it's been reduced to just what happens one hour a week? 
Do you, I don't know. Is this black church, white church stuff? Do you think? I, I don't know. It could be. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, you know, I, I was raised, I was not raised disciple Dennis, but, but in kind of in my, my kind of white church growing up experience, you know, the, the, the push and pull was about, um, you know, church state stuff, how, you know, how, or, or politics and, and religion, how, how, you know, where, where, where's that wall? And, and the, and the trump card that was played all the time was you know, that separation of church and state, that sacred wall between church and state. And, and so I, I belong to a, um, a congregation in a denomination. The denomination was a little bit more activist, but this congregation was pretty insular. And their, their view was, you know, we'll talk about Jesus in here, you know, and we'll do sacraments in here and, and we'll do that kind of stuff, but we're not going to get political. Um, um, yeah, I, in fact, I have a distinct memory of a sermon. I was just, I was a kid, but a distinct sermon where um, the, the, the diocese had supported a ministry uh, with farm workers, this was about in California, um, had, had purchased uh, some kind of a trailer that could convert into a portable sanctuary to go out to where the farm workers were and to do communion services out there for them. And, and I remember a sermon by, by one of the priests that was kind of informative for me who, who condemned that as, as, as spiritual malpractice, you know, mm -hmm. and his, his argument was, you know, that, that, you know, that that's the world, we're the church. And if they want what we've got, they got to come here, you know, that there's this wall, you know, and how widespread was that? I, you know, I, I don't know that I don't know that I've ever heard it explicitly stated like that okay, in other churches that I've been in, both as a minister and as a member. But boy, it has been implied at points. You know, there's this implication that that they don't they don't touch. Hmm. But then, what's the implication there? If you have a church that doesn't yeah. really have any effect in the world, then to me, at least, it asks, and what is it for? Why yeah, it, it, it kind of subverts the whole the whole you know I, I I'm always struck when I when I read the the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus kind of begins that you know after after the the Beatitudes you know he you know we, we he moves really quickly into that conversation about being salt and light and you know those are in in the world kinds of of, of presences you know it's 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 something how are we present in the world how how do we engage culture. Um, and it, it, to me, it seems inescapable. Okay, it's inescapable that that our discipleship is lived out on that stage. Uh, um, to have, you know, it, it, is it is it is it a kind of a perversion of, of our theology by an Americanism that that kind of honors that separation of church and state stuff that doesn't want that doesn't want the political implications? Is it fear? You know, is it fear of of uh, you know kind of the, the co opting of of uh, of a spiritual tradition by a political agenda, you know the the you know what's happened with you know in, in, in the last what four or five years the the co-opting of the evangelical movement by by kind of that 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 section of the, the GOP that is that is kind of dominated by Trump, you know that that's a that's a curious um, that's a that's a curious alliance. If to, from my way of, of speaking is, but but. You could back up, it seems to me, and and see previous where you know I, I heard it like this once that the that the uh, that the liberal church or the mainline church is is uh, you know is a caucus of the Democratic Party and and uh, you know the um, we're being visited by my cat here, Dennis. The uh, <laughs> we're we're being 
then the GOP is the is the caucus is or the the, the conservative church is the caucus of the GOP. Um, so it's the you know it's the tail wagging the dog. It's and so you lose that distinctive religious. Um, you know, so they, you know, may, maybe you know the best thing, best conversations we can have in churches is is that old Niebuhr Christ and culture stuff. You know, mm-hmm, is to mm-hmm. is to is to re-engage in that conversation of how you know, how does church relate to culture, beginning with the assumption that there's got to be a relationship. Yeah, I think that you know, there's got they're, they're going to touch, but how how are we going to navigate that space? Uh, you know, I, I I I strongly believe that what happens in church under the word and around the table you know, is, def- is defining for who we are. It's formative for our moral and spiritual perspectives. And that, then those doors open up, right? And we head out into the world. We're going as people who have been formed by what happened. We, we talked at, at Northway, where I served for so long. Um, we, we talked frequently about the kind of people we wanted to let loose into the world. Okay, what, what, kind of, what kind of folks are we trying to let loose into the world? One of the analogies I use sometimes with them was to say, the mistake we make on, in church stuff is to, is to think, is to think that, that that hour of Sunday morning is, is, is the game. I mean, that's it. And at 12, when the gun sounds and the game's over, we kind of kind of you know, shake hands and, and we're done until the next Sunday. And in fact, we you know, try to help them think, you know, what we do on Sunday morning, that's the, that's, the, um, that, you know, that's the training. That's getting ready for the game. The game happens, you know, at 12 o'clock when the door opens and we head into the world. That's, that's, that's where the game is. And uh, so, you know, we, understanding, you know, the practice is, is what we do in, in community. And mm-hmm. then the, 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 the action is what takes place after that. Orthodoxy or orthopraxy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and hinging those together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and again, you know, I, I, there are exceptions, there are notable exceptions, I think, you know, both in, that, that have done that well. Uh, you know, I, I, again, kind of my evangelical kind of background, you know, uh, you know Francis Schaeffer, um, you know, who at his, you know, he wrote so powerfully about, about race relations and about, about how, you know, slavery and, and uh, uh, Jim Crow segregation and, you know, all, he saw those as as just blatant contradictions of the gospel that he proclaimed. And, uh, you know, I remember reading that again in my kind of formative, you know, I've got my theological teeth on him and, and reading that and thinking, wow, this is, you know, A, he's right, you know, but it, but it began to set that notion that, that gospel, gospel has important things to say about how I, how I treat others personally and the kind of society that, that I want to um, have a hand in shaping. Mm. Well, one of the things I, I wanted to share that's related to kind of the, the Lord's Supper issue is um, something that you're familiar with and, and it was within our denomination, um, the denomination that we're both in. Mm-hmm. And that was on the issue of homosexuality. And from probably about, <laughs> at least for, well, about 30 years, but, but at least before I came on, but there was actually, I remember, um, this has to be now about 20 years ago, when there was a kind of discussion, um, and it was a video that I watched with you and with Judith Hoke Ray, mm-hmm. um, as both mm-hmm. as, as theologians kind of talking about this issue theologically. And I think that that was beneficial for for everyone 
to really have this issue have a, a kind of a, a strong theological grounding. In 2019, um, at General Assembly in Des Moines, there was a, a resolution that was talking about kind of more being more welcoming um, to transgender um, Christians. And it passed, but when we talk about theology or anything about that, it was incredibly thin. It, it felt like kind of what things came down to was that, you know, the nature of the church is to be inclusive or Jesus was inclusive. And that was about it. And it seems that a lot of the, that maybe 20, 30 years ago, a lot of these issues that we um, were talking about back then, at least there was a, a desire to look at it from a theological standpoint and to help people understand it from a theological standpoint. But it seems like today we don't do that anymore. And we kind of just kind of throw in maybe a few words about God and Jesus and that's it. And so I guess my question to you is, and one, if, if you agree with that or uh, that kind of change, and then two, how, how what happened? What caused that change? Yeah. Uh, that's a great question. You know, the, uh, yeah, so first of all, first of all, I would say that the, 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 we were in a different place, obviously, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Um, um, but, but uh, you know, so much of had to do with leadership. And you know, let me just kind of honor Bill Paulsell. Um, you know, Bill, I was on that panel and, um, and Bill was the, the convener, you know, he was, he was the, you know, he was, he was the, the coach on that and, 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 and Bill, wonderful spirit and, 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 you know, who lived what we're talking about, that integration of theology with church practice. They, they, you know, what, you know, he, he was the antithesis of that bits and pieces stuff that this guy down here, uh, not Nagel is his name, who writes about worldview. So he was the opposite of that. He, he integrated stuff. And so he, you know, the, the best thing that, that he did was, two of the best things that he did. One was, you know, the first time that panel got together, Dennis, we, we told our stories. Uh, there, were, there were more than a dozen of us drawn from across the breadth of the church with different perspectives, um, different experiences. And, we, you know, we took the better part of two days just telling our stories. And, you know, and so that we knew kind of where we were coming from, you know, and, and, um, and so that, that was powerful. You know, we were, we were talking as friends then. We were talking as acquaintances, not, the, the stereotyping was gone. We, you mm -hmm. know, we, we had to deal with each other as human beings. Profoundly important. Second thing, we never met without Eucharist, okay? You know, we we uh -huh. never met without Eucharist. And so after these, after some really difficult conversations, hard conversations, um, where where ideas, you know, uh, cherished ideas or assumptions were challenged, you know, kind of right down to the, the core on some things for us, you know, it ended with Eucharist and that notion that we come to this as one as one people, we come to this as as one community, and you know, it's hard it's hard to 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 in our theology of table, it's hard to exclude anybody from table, and once you've done that, you know, it's a set match game, it's over, uh, you know, we you know the, the table, you know, is the is the is the, the the model for what this is. So those two things. So so what's happened? I don't know. I, it occurred to me as you were talking, Dennis, that that here's I th here's one thing that's happened. Okay, and that is we were we were less monolithic as a church 20, 30 years ago than we are today. You know, 20, 30 years ago there were still there were still um, lots of 
folks who identify themselves as traditionalists or conservatives in in the church and and so there i think there was a, there was an awareness that it wasn't enough just to give an answer we had to talk about the answer and we had to talk about it with biblical and theological um, sources um, so you know today it seems to me um, that we're 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 not as diverse as we used to be you know mm -hmm. a lot of those a lot of those folks have gone um, you know you look at our numbers you know i think the the attrition of, of the church have, have been folks who I, who have I, self identify as traditional evangelical whatever orthodox let's just use like kind of the orthodox folks you know the they 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 pretty much have left they i think there was i think that's been a long process it's been a long kind of a, a drain but i think that they were more present and they were more they were more actively present in the life of the church mm -hmm. uh, you know when dick ham who was general mr and president put that panel together he deliberately included um, you know Folks who who self-identifies evangelical orthodox. He wanted those folks at the table. That that that's how I got there, and and you know it was important. And I was my voice was respected. My presence was was honored there. And you know since then it seems to me that lots of those folks have have just left. You know they have and so that so that today, you know you the issue rises. And we say, well, you know, this is what Jesus wants, or this is the church values inclusion, and, and and that does it. So we don't have to we don't have to build the case for it quite as as um, logically and consistently as once did. We we don't have to make the case. You know, we assume um, one of the things I've the analogies I've used for a long time is the difference between algebra and geometry. You've probably read that at some point in what I've written. You know that I was a terrible math student. I'm just terrible. Um, and, and I hated algebra because algebra, algebra was really just about getting the right answer, you know, at least in, in my experience. You know, I, you know, when you took an algebra test, you know, it was, it was bottom line, did you get the right answer? Don't care how you got it, really. Did you get the right answer? And, and that, that, that was a problem for me with algebra. Geometry, on the other hand, I loved Mm -hmm. And because it was a, it was, it was, yeah, the answer, the right answer, that that was that mattered, you know, but but was also matter how how do you make the case? What are the theorems? You know, what what you know, what are the steps that you're taking to get to that answer? And 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 recognizing, um, I was taught it that so there are kind of different ways you can do that. You can you can put you can string these theorems together in different ways and get you to the answer. Um, so you know, whereas in algebra, you know, I was graded on simply the bottom one, right or wrong. And the geometry has graded on process. Okay, mm. um, I think we have become an algebra church. Okay, mm. it's a. You know, I think the, the the more conservative churches are no are equally algebraic. You know, it's just give me the answer, give me give me the sound bite, give me the you know tell me the bottom line. I think we live in an age where we got to do the, the geometry publicly. You know, we we got to show the process, we got to show our work. Um, and I think that I think that that because. The, that panel that did it 20, 30 years ago on the question of the gay and lesbian inclusion in the life of the church, because it was deliberately inclusive of the, the pluralism of our church, there, there, was, there was a requirement for us to, to kind of do that work publicly. You know, Judith, um, you know, I love, I love Judith. Um, you know, in many respects, you know, we should not have liked each other. But I think if Judith were here, she'd say the same thing. I, you know, I came out of that, that process with Judith, one of the best weeks of my life um, mm. was was with Judith in New York City doing 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 uh, biblical and theological writing together for the study guide, the the, the the sermon guide. And you know, we'd get together every morning at Union, 
and 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 kind of map stuff and talk about stuff and and argue and and then we'd go our to our separate corners and do work and come back the next day and and it it was in, it was incredibly enlivening at the end of it you know she said to me she said you know Doug I would you know if I were the pastor of a church I would welcome you in my pulpit and I said Judith you know if you come to Dallas I will welcome you to my pulpit it's because because you know I could, we, may, we didn't always come to the same conclusions on in a couple of questions, but ultimately, you know, we were, we were, we were kin because we were, we, we, we were, we were taking scripture seriously. We were honoring the Lordship of Christ and we were working that out in, in looking for patterns of faithfulness. And so, uh, you know, it seems to me that, that that was necessary because of the diversity of the church where I think we're, I think we're a less diverse church. And, and so maybe we're skipping over that. It's interesting that you say that we're less diverse when we seem to talk a lot about diversity. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I, I, you know. It just seems ironic. I, I you know, I, you know, I, I can measure it. You know, you know, you know. Lots of the folks that that I saw as kind of allies back in the day has, has thinned. You know, they're they're not they're not they didn't they didn't hang they left. Um, you know, the, I don't know the, the attrition to you know the. The, the migrations and the congregations, you know, you know, because I, because I had, because I, because the gospel requires me to be inclusive, you know, demands that of me. So I had to model that, preach that, model that. And, and there were some, this guy knows going to shock. There, there were some folks who didn't like that, you know, in my, in my conservative folks didn't like that. And so they, you know, those were the, lost some of those folks through the years. And I think that's the, my congregational kind of experience. Um, is a microcosm of that larger denominational experience. I think I think the migrate a migratory pattern occurred because of, of of the implications of the gospel, and um, so we, I think we're in a day with those got people with those folks. There's nobody pushing. There, there's nobody pushing back. Maybe that's is that the right thing. You know, there's just maybe you remember those general assemblies you know 20 30 years ago. You know the the, the lines of the. The, the red and the green microphones and, and, you know, we had to extend time for, for debate. Yeah. You know, it seems to me that's not, that's not as present because, you know, it's just not as present anymore. And I think it's because we've lost, we've lost those folks. Hmm. Which is not that here is where the politics comes in is that our political parties have become far yeah. more homogenous than they were 20, 30 years ago. And yeah. it seems like that has had an effect on how we govern or don't govern um, yeah. very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, we, 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 we draw our lines pretty quickly, right? We, 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 we assure ourselves that we're on the right side of the questions. And, 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 and there's, we're not gonna talk about it because even talk about it is to call into question the, um, the, the validity of my answer. Uh, you know, yeah, the, the notion that that you you see it differently than I do, um, and so to talk to you is to is to acknowledge that maybe you could teach me something, right? And and I, you know, if I'm confident in my position, I'm not going to. I got to own you rather than engage you. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah, you know that. Boy, you know that's a that's a whole other conversation, isn't it? But I think that's you know that, this this era that we live in. You know, it's, it, we've lost that. And it seems that that's, at least for me growing up, and I think um, this is kind of bringing in um, Martin Luther King, 
is that you see someone else as a, a child of God, um, even if you disagree or even if they are hateful, um, that there is that sense. Um, and you talked earlier about um, the Black church. And it's funny that I think within African-American culture, the role of the Black church is is receding in some ways. Mm. Um, if you remember a few years ago, and you probably know this more than I would, was the um, the case of the uh, police from Dallas that shot yeah, young man. Botham James? Yes. Yeah. And do you, if you remember the scene where his, yeah. his brother came up and sought and then said basically that he forgave um, the woman and they hugged. And, and there was something amazing to see that. But there was also a lot of ang- angry anger in the community because, you know, you know you're letting her off easy. And no one was letting her off easy. She was going to prison. I mean, they, you know, we've already, you know, that that had been determined, but it was the sense of you can't forgive her. You can't let her off the hook. And that language, I think, has not always been that vocal in the Black community, but it's becoming more vocal. Um, and so yeah, I, I remember parallel to that the the shooting in South Carolina at the, the yes, church in Charleston exactly and, yep. you know the, the, that same and I don't know Dennis I I, I I thought about that a lot those those kinds of those kinds of things and and you know is it is it the the concern for justice which I think again is legitimate you know I, I but but justice is not is not the is not the last word that that Christianity speaks. Mm-hmm. The, the the last word that Christianity speaks is grace, and and you know it's it's not a grace that dismisses that, that dismisses justice. No, um, you know that. So now we get now now we can go deep into theology. It's that you know that this is going to get me in trouble when I'm saying this out loud. But but you know the the, the whole notion of the how out of favor the substitutionary atonement doctrine. Of a, uh, has become the, the idea that Christ dies for our sins, you know, that, that whole notion there. And, you know, yes, I, I read a lot of theology and there are, there are, there are horrible ways of, of, of saying that, but there are also incredibly potent ways of saying that, um, you know, uh, Fleming Rutledge's book on, on, on the cross, you know, that, you know, you, if you want, if you want a, what, a 500 page defense of substitute atonement, <laughs> there it is. Um, so there, there, there are meaningful ways of doing that, that the, Taking substitution atonement off the table, you know, has has taken out of the equation this this the push and pull between you know uh, justice and and grace. You know how how do you know how do they interact? You know, I there, there's that there's that text is in Hosea eleven where you know where God is speaking to Israel and says, you know, I love you, I love you, I've raised you as a child, and you turned away, and I am so mad at you, and you know, and then it stops us, but I can't let you go. You know, it's this, 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 this push and pull between there is, you know, you have done things that are wrong and, and I can't just ignore those things. I just, you know, I can't, I just can't sweep those aside as if they're of no consequence, but I can't let you go. So it's that, it's that, it's that, um, you know, the, the PT Forsyth, you know, the strife of attributes and God's attributes, the, the justice and mercy. How, how do those, you know, relate to each other? 
Well, you know, we, if I understand the gospel correctly, it all distills out into mercy. You know, mm-hmm. ultimately, it's it's about grace, and 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 you know, but so so just you know, justice is a critically important part of the conversation. Okay, the, you know, it, it's what exposes you know the woundedness of, of creation. It's what exposes you know, it's what names the sin. But but once we've named the sin, then then comes you know comes reconciliation, healing, and, and that occurs by grace. So yeah, I think there I think there is no doubt there is a um, sometimes we rush to grace more quickly than we are, and I think and I think that's yeah, I'm I'm sensitive to that I you know I don't want to I, I hear that, but what my fear in, in the kind of the mood of the church today is is you know we're, we're mad you know we're mad about injustice as well we ought to be, um, but and we think that's it you know we. You know, we, but the mad is the mad is not enough. Mm-hmm. Okay? The mad, the mad has got to distill into something else. But then on the other side of that, it's interesting. You there was a post you wrote shortly after um, the verdict of, of uh, Derek Chauvin, and it was an interview with um, the Minnesota yeah. my the church yeah. where yeah. I live in, in Minnesota yeah. um, with uh, Keith Ellison, yeah, who was a Muslim. Yeah, and it was interesting how he you you kind of related this that he was, you know he 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 thought about Chauvin. It wasn't in this just in this sense of justice. We got to get you. Um, and there was also I think you sense a certain amount of humility too that he saw Chauvin even in spite of all that he had done as a human being as a yeah. child of God. And so it's fascinating that someone from a related faith, but a different faith, acted in a way that was far more Christ-like. <laughs> you know, sometimes, yeah. well, you know, having been involved in some some interfaith conversations, especially with Muslims here in Dallas, you know, they 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 have been quick to point out to me that the you know the first line of the Quran is that God is merciful. You know, that, mm-hmm. that you know that so the, the the notion of the mercy of God is a big player. Um, you know, in their in their theology, and and you know, in fact, that's that I've used that as a touchstone to say that you know, there's a commonality. You know, there's there's a there is you know, there, that's one of the places where where we touch in a profound sort of way is that kind of that essential characteristic of God is is mercy. Then then you know we're on we're 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 on the same page. Okay? Mm-hmm. We, you know, we we have some different ideas about how that mercy has been um, established, but but we're on the same page. You know, I, 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 thinking about um, Will Campbell's book, Brother to a Dragonfly, you know, profound, that was a profoundly disturbing read for me and mm. a, a profoundly formational read for me. You know, that, that notion of, of, you know, so somebody who is, who is, you know, who is forcefully on the side of justice and, 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 and the, 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 the hatred that, that killed, you know, the, uh, the civil rights workers in, in 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 the south, and and coming to terms with the fact that the the police officer who did that in this story is also a human being and a child of God, and you know the you know Will's brother who who uh, you know kind of basically says you know so what you're telling me is that God loves him but not him, you know you know he 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 loves the the guy that was killed but not the guy who did the killing, and you know wow okay so now you know okay let me. Yeah, let me, let me take a decade and ponder that. Um, you know, so how do we hold that together? 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and that you know, Will did obviously his 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 life story was that 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 jumble of you know of, of you know hating hating the and I you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to go love the you know love the sin or hate the sin because it's not that but it's that that notion is that that you know hating racism but but loving the victims and the perpetrators of mm. of the racist systems yeah I, you know, and and of course for him that was intimately tied to to his understanding of gospel so and this also brings up the whole conversation of language mm-hmm. and one of the things i think in a recent talk i had with frederick um, schmidt was about how the language that we use in the church that also spilled into the larger culture um, healing or um, reconciliation that those words almost don't you don't find them in the church anymore and in its place the language that we're using more and more is politics now that's not to say that politics is bad you know it is a part of our life but it does i it does seem to me that if you you're you're using a language of you know um the state house that that tends to to shape the reality of, of a church, doesn't it? I, this last weekend, I was, uh, I paint icons. That's one of the things I do is I, I was with my, my teacher, Peter Pearson. He's a, um, Peter's a, a, an Episcopal priest. And uh, um, we were talking on the course of the weekend and, and we were talking about um, right, right one and right two book of common prayer mm-hmm. um, uh, services. And, and I, I, the reason the question got posed because the church we were at it was out in Lubbock. The church we were at, where they were going to do a right one at eight o'clock and a right two at ten o'clock, whatever it was. And I said, "So Peter, tell me how you know." I see that a lot, you know. So tell me how you know how do churches make the decision which right they're going to do at eight o'clock and and the one at at, at ten o'clock or eleven o'clock? And he said, "He said, well, he said, you know, we traditionally he said we you know we the big service has always been the the, the second one, and so we use the the language that is more contemporary and, and thought forms a little bit more contemporary. And, and the folks who go to the eight o'clock service are, you know, have traditionally been the older folks, you know, the, you know, the folks who, who are more traditional in their point of view. And he, he laughed and he said, you know, the language, uh, he said the language of, of, of the right one is, he says, I, just, I stumble over those words and I have to get a dictionary to, you know, kind of define these things. He says, it's just hard to pronounce. Um, he said, but here's the funny thing that's happening. He said, he says, really a curious thing that's happening is he said, he's noticed uh, when he fills in in, in parishes and, and does it, he says that, that increasingly there are young people who prefer the right one, you know, who prefer the, the kind of that historic language that the these and the thous and the propitiations and the, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, all that language, that, that, you know, rich language of that and the thought forms that go with it, they prefer that. And, yeah. and you know, he laughed and he said, you know, he said, you know, that's, he thinks that's part of that, the, the whole kind of movement, you know, looking for the solidity of, 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 you know, kind of our faith, you know, that it's, that it's anchored in that, in those, 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 those words, that vocabulary and their rhythm and that thought. I, I go to a weekly Eucharist here in Dallas that uses the right one um, midweek. And, and I got to tell you, you know, that the part of the appeal to that is, is, you know, is, is, it, it forces you to kind of grapple with those. It, it, it's relearning a vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Okay? 
you know, so, so, you know, you know, we've got down so far, I think of trying to, um, to be, what is it? Seeker sensitive, you know, not using religious jargon. Um, you know, but we're going to be really careful because we don't, we want, we want to communicate. Well, you know, have, have we, is there a line that we've crossed at some point that to, to, to kind of, to be so, um, glib with culture that we've lost something about the solidity of the tradition. Um, yeah, the, the midweek Eucharist I go to, there, there, are no, there are no young people there. I, I, can, I can swear to that. You know, I'm, I'm the youngest guy there. Uh, <laughs> but, but Peter says, you know, that, that increasingly, you know, he sees younger folks who have the choice choosing the, the, the language that was much more solid and traditional. So I don't, I don't know. You know, it's it, got to learn the language. You know, it's, it's, it's like painting icons, you know, the, you know, or writing icons is the technical term for it. And it's, you know, early on, you know, learning to do this, you know, it's, it's a, it's a language, you know, you learn to read an icon and you got to know the language. Um, similarly, there's a language to faith. Uh, there's a, you know, there's a grammar to faith that, that, that we need to know. And why do you, well, I think maybe the question is, how do we bring that grammar back? Yeah. So, you know, you know, is it, is it perhaps it's, it's being more verbal in, in worship? You know, I think, again, I think there, yeah, I don't, I heard it once, I heard it a thousand times, uh, the, the, the quote, the St. Francis quote, you know, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words, which by the way, uh, the Franciscan scholars will say, he never said that. You know, he was a preacher. <laughs> St. Francis was a preacher. Um, and there's, you know, they go, they've scoured, you know, the, the, the literature and they, 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 he never said that. Uh, so I see here that. So we've gone so far into that, um, you know, kind of the, the, what is the apophatic tradition, the silence, you know, that, that God is, is majestic and mysterious and, and we cannot fathom that. And so the right response is simply to be silent. Um, you know, I've, I've, you know, I saw that pendulum swing in, in church life and, and, and you know, being being criticized for for trying to narrate the actions of worship a little bit more intentionally, you know, the you know, the idea of saying, you know, we're going to do this now, and, and this is what this is, and this is why we do this the way we do it, you know, you know, trying to narrate that, um, and I got got some criticism for that, kind of from some folks who said, just shut up, you know, just let it just let it happen, and and I you know I I, I know that so. But I, I think that, you know, maybe, maybe the way that we restore the language is, is to become more verbal, you know, is, mm-hmm. is to explain it, um, you know, to be much more intentional about the explanation. You know, why do we do what we do the way we do it? Um, you, know, how, you know, we got to spell that out. So, you know, in, in our worship, right, you know, we, we're going we're gonna to gather around the word. So, you know, we, part of we got to explain, we got to help people. This is this is this is why we're turning these ancient texts. You know, they've got to exp- got to make the case for the text, mm-hmm. um, and and we gather around the table, and and we've got it. You know, we've got to explain. You know, what is it we're doing here? Um, you know, how, how many communion services have I been to where it's just kind of, you know, a lot of assumptions are being made. <laughs> you know, people kind of they assume that we know, you know, what we're doing here, and and. I, I think that it's probably time to, to reclaim um, some intentionality in the way that we um, set up that moment, um, you know, prepare people for the moments. Go ahead. I was just going to say, what do you think about the, uh, the 
the need or or maybe that one of the solutions could be something like um catechism or catechesis yeah oh i'm a yeah i'm a i'm a fan of the catechism yeah i think um yeah the, the, i think the reworking the whole notion of of uh you know members class or uh, uh you know uh, when the kids are getting baptized is yeah they've got to we got to reclaim the teaching ministry of the church mm-hmm. we really got to reclaim that, that teaching ministry um i, I he was a he was a guy from your neck of the woods dennis he teaches at uh um what's the big uh baptist school bethel. There in bethel he teaches at bethel uh randy nelson is his name uh, mm-hmm. Randy was my youth minister and, and he was he was doing PhD work at Rice uh, okay. down in Houston and uh, so Randy showed up and he was my youth minister for a couple of years and just loved Randy Kristen to death anyway after after about a month of being with us um, uh, you know I was having a meeting with Randy we were talking and he said he said Doug he said I said you preach differently than than the preachers I'm used to and I said Okay, what, you know, tell me about that. He said, you know, my tradition, um, you know, this this uh, Baptist tradition, one of the variants of, of this kind of Swedish Baptist, I think, is what it was. He said, he said, you know, the, the sermon begins with the preacher standing up and saying, you know, our scripture lesson this morning is from you know First Kings, whatever, and you know, chapter and verse, and and off they go. Okay, you know, he said, he said, there's no, there's no, you know, there's no setting up the text. There's no. There's no explaining, you know, why this text matters. He says, you know, you, he says, when you preach, you know, you, you, you create, you create a reason why from, from life circumstance or the, uh, you know, culture there, you, you set up a reason why we need to appeal to the text. Okay. You know, the, the, and, 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 and I, yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't begin with the assumption that people know what's in the Bible or care about what's in the Bible. And so part of my task is to say, this is why this matters, you know? Yeah, the, the, here's the question. This is what Tillich, you know, the theology correlation, you know, culture poses the question. And we're going to turn to this text to see how it answers it. Okay. Connect bits and pieces, connecting, connecting the dots. dots. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. 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 Well, one thing that I wanted to talk about that's related to all of this is, um, and I think hopefully I'm going to talk about this more in another podcast, but one of the things that I found fascinating. Um, in 2016, when they started to do some polling um, of people, especially evangelicals um, who vote for voted for Trump or supported Trump at that point, and this is something that has, in some ways, remained constant, um, is that a lot of them didn't go to church. Yeah, they had for that same research. They had the 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 you know they're consider themselves evangelical. Um, they may have even have the language in some ways of the church, but they don't go to church. And um, all of that in some ways has an implication. And this is something that I was reminded of too, is that um, the um, columnist for the New York Times, Ross Douthat, once said something about that if you don't like the religious right, wait till you see the post-religious right. Yeah. Um, and obviously we're starting to see that. Yeah. So kind of, what are the implications of yeah. that? Yeah, I've read that, uh, that 
I, I, I drew some consolation from that. I don't know, you know, kind of in a strange sort of way is, is, you know, um, anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, it has to do with, I think it has to do with that formation, you know, the being, being formed. So catechism, whatever we want to talk about that, uh, you know, the spiritual formation, how, you know, how are we forming people? You know, again, the, the question that we would pose at the church I served for so long here in Dallas was, you know, what kind of people are we trying to let loose into the world? Okay, when, once we kind of got that kind of spelled out or kind of defined in our minds, the next question was, how do you build those kinds of people? Okay, what, you know, what do we, what do we, what do we got to do in here, um, you know, to, to produce that kind of a, of a disciple? And, mm-hmm. Um, that 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 will that will function as salt and light in the world. Be a number of those metaphors from from the Gospels. Anyway, so then it became a question of formation. How you know how to you know the, how we do communion is is going to be formative for that person. Now the problem the problem becomes how we you know, how we how we do communion. How we teach Scripture. How do we, how we you know relate to each other. And all that is going to impact that. So now the question becomes. If people are not gathering around the table, if they're not in fellowship with each other, if they're not sitting under the word together and being shaped by the word, um, now what? Okay, now, you know, you know, then that's that's what I heard out of that study was you know, here are people evangelicals, right? But they're not, they're not being formed by the evangel. Um, and and so yeah, the, you, 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 it's easy to get led astray. Okay. Mm-hmm. See, it's easy to be seduced by by power um uh, I'm, I'm preaching this sunday at a little church here in town that lost their pastor and and uh preaching on preaching on the the lectionary text from mark uh um you know about uh, john and james and you know the the idea that you know that you're gonna like this uh, luther seminary grad that you are uh, you know theology of the cross and theology of glory you know i, I hear i hear john and james saying you know i want to I want, I want a seat in honor in, in glory. You know, I, I want the glory. And I hear Jesus saying, but, but, but this is about the cross. You know, this, this is, this is about, this is about the cross right now. This is, you know, this is, um, uh, you know, drinking the, the cup that we've got to drink and being baptized with the baptism that we're going to be baptized with. And, and um, you know, that, that, that notion that, that I think, I think our culture is, is a glory culture. You know, we, you know, we're Americans, you know, we, we, you know, we're number one. We're, we're a glory culture. Um, gospel Christianity is 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 a competitor to that notion. Uh, it is the way of the cross. Um, you know that I've been reading, getting ready for the sermon, reading a lot of Lutherans uh, because of that the power of that theology of the cross stuff, and you know the <clears throat> the notion that you know being the biggest and best and, and the most powerful in culture. You know that's that's not Jesus. You know Jesus is the is the one who you know who who dies at thirty three with and you know shamed. Mm-hmm. You know, so all I wish to say is how can you know it, how can this is going to sound terrible? Uh, how you know how can we gather around the table of the crucified week in and week out and and be seduced by a strong man? You know politically, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't have well, an answer. Sometimes you're not gathering around the table and i think that and that's that's how i'm going to do that now okay and that is if they're not gathering around the table they're not they're not being formed okay they're one of the evangelical groups i was involved with in college you just talk about you know most christians are are inoculated with just enough christianity to keep them from catching the real thing um you know you know and 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 you know <clears throat> we 
we get baptized at, at whatever, uh, uh, you know, in, in adolescence, most likely, most, most folks, most evangelicals have an evangelical experience, you know, in adolescence somewhere, and <clears throat> we're staying youth group through, through high school, and then we go off to college, and, and then it's just kind of a, a, a casual relationship with faith. So when somebody says, what are you? Well, I'm an evangelical, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I've had, you know, I've been born again, but okay. But there's been no, you know, it's kind of the, the first Corinthians born again, you know, you're still, you're still babes. You're still, you know, you're still, you know, eating baby food and not, not meat. Um, and, and, and if you're not in church, you know, that, that is the, that is the, the incubator for faith, right? That's where formation is supposed to take place. Which I think then highlights the need of church, um, mm-hmm. because sometimes, in fact, I, I had something uh, something I wrote that the response was, and and they're right that you can go to church and not pick up the message, but it also seems like there is an importance that church does matter. Attending does matter. It seems for the reasons that you state that it it forms you. Um, mm-hmm. But that's also something that we are not, it's becoming alien to us in our culture, I think. Um, This is, I don't know if you're familiar with Yuval Levin's, um, he wrote a book called uh, Time to Build. And so his whole thing is about the loss of institutions. Mm. And institutions like Congress, like church or things, were supposed to be places that formed you. But over the last few decades, they have become places where you perform. Wow. So, so of course, we now have the Congress that we have that is far more performative than actually, you know, doing things like, you know, passing bills. And it seems that religion has become the same thing, that a lot of it seems to be much more performative um, than it is to be formed, to be yeah, the, the my, where my mind kind of jumps on that, Dennis, is the you know the Martin Marty's discussion of of you know a Bible that is iconic, you know, as 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 opposed to a, a Bible that is instrumental. I don't think that's his language, but it's iconic. The notion that that it, it's a symbol, you know, that, that we we you know we have symbolic gestures and symbolic um, references that 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 identify us. As, as you know, having membership, you know, so, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, some of the stuff we've seen, you know, kind of on TV with the thing that happened on January the 6th and, you know, the, you know, the crosses and the, and the, you know, the, the God talk on some of the, the you know, it, 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 there's a veneer, you know, there's a, it, just enough to be able to identify tribe, you know, this, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Christian, but doing things that are antithetical, you know, to, to what an allegiance to Jesus Christ biblically would look like, it seems to me. Um, so yeah, the performative that I'm going to chase that down. I think that's, I think there's, I think there's something to that. So you get coming back to that, that formative thing. So let me go full circle coming back to where we started. And that is, you know, here I'm having this conversation with, with other clergy, you know, about, about after a day of time about racism and, you know, the next step. And I said, I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go take communion. I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to share in a communion service and getting these blank stares. Um, it's, it, you know, it, you know, it, it is, has, has the Lord's Supper become performative rather than formative for, for us? Um, 
I don't know. But it also reminds me, I mean, the, the, the language that we use sometimes for, or at least I used to remember hearing um, that would bring people together yeah. was to break bread. And I think that's where the, I can see the, the connection between racial reconciliation and, and um, communion in that it's, it's that sense of when you are taking the bread and breaking it and the fact, as you said, that everyone is welcome at the table, that has profound implications. Or is it yeah. And it should yeah. make you kind of think, oh, yeah. how am I doing on this or something to that extent? Yeah, yeah. For, for me, Richard Lisher, who was homiletics professor at Duke for years oh. and years and years, had a, had a marvelous uh, article in, in uh, Christian Century. This, this would have been 20 years ago. Um, his church in, in, in North Carolina was building a new sanctuary. And the, the, the architect is doing the consultant thing and trying to get a sense of, you know, what it's going to look like. You know, had, had a series of, of uh, conversations with small groups in the church, members and leaders. And the question he posed was, you know, let's talk about communion for you guys. Let's, I want to hear about your theology of communion, because I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm putting an altar or a table at the center of, of your church. And so they have this, you know, this wonderful, and he kind of describes this wonderful process of, of talking about, you know, the, the differences between an altar and a table, you know, the talk of altar and table. And you know, he says, you know, table is a place of, of fellowship and manners and, and community. And, and uh, you know, it's where, you know, it's, it's where we belong and, it, and it's warm. An altar is a place of sacrifice and bloodshed and braying animals and noise and, and you know, the chaos of, of that. And, and he said, so... So he said, so what we decided is, is you know, that, that we wanted a, a table, but we wanted it to be a really solid table because he wanted, he said, because behind the table is an altar, okay? That, that you know, behind, behind the fellowship, the table where we break bread, where we experience inclusive love and community, behind that is an altar on which Christ died. And it's, you know, that, that is that connection that, that, you know, that, you know, that's the time. Um, is you know to make sure I and I think that's right. I, you know I you know I happen to love our identity statement as a church. You know I I, I love this notion of being of being a, a movement for for wholeness in a, in a fragmented world. Um, you know welcoming you know folks to you know as we head to the tables we have been welcomed by God in Christ. I, I, I yes. So I but what I want to do is I want to put I want to put the emphasis on on the welcome. You know how how has God welcomed us in Christ? Okay, that that pushes us back to the altar that stands behind the table and the solidity of that. Now that's 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 a that's a that got to teach that right. You know that you know it's just easy to to say you know um, you know it's, it's just it's, the table is the table. You know it, 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 it that's it. There's, you know it's just just the fellow. It's just the inclusion. It's just it's just the welcome of the table and and fail to see that there's a there's a whole thing behind it. Mm. The critical thing is behind. It. Yeah, kind of a, a very important thing. And, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I think that as you're, we've been talking about, there, there's uh, implications of not having kind of the cross and that theology and that language. Um, and that I think it's, it disrupts the witness um, in main, and especially in mainline churches. And, um, it seems like that's a language that we really need to have, especially right now in the political life of our country. Yeah, 
Oh, I agree. I agree. I think, you know, the, you know, you go back to, you know, my, my thinking with that conversation after the, the, the anti-racism training and, and talking about Lord's Supper in that context is, is, you know, you know, I, I'm, I'm bringing to my awareness table, you know, the theology of the book of Acts and, and I'm bringing to that the theology of Ephesians chapter two, you know, breaking down the, 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 the separating walls and, and creating out of two people a new humanity. You know, that, that whole theology of Ephesians of, of, you know, it is the eternal will of God to bring things that have flown apart back together, bringing, bringing things into harmony with one another once again. I, you know, that's the theology behind table. You take, you know, you, like, like Ephesians 2 does, you take, you take the cross you know, off the table. You, know, you, you move that to the side in understanding of the sacrifice of God in Christ. Then, then it's just, it's just, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, a table that is established on, on human um, effort alone, rather than, than, than the, the divine act. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and that, that, that's better than nothing, but that's not nearly um, as, as useful as, as seeing it as an expression of what God is doing. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. This oh. has been a, another engaging time of, of chatting. Yeah, we so yeah, keep going. I think we probably talk the rest of the day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we were able to share this with other. Always people. good to see you, Dennis. Always good to so, see you. Yeah. Okay. Hope. All right. Take care. Okay. told among um, people, folks in the restoration movement, which is the part of Christianity that the disciples of Christ belong to. And it, it involves one of our founders, Alexander Campbell. Campbell was originally from Northern Ireland, and he was of Scottish extraction, which of course meant he was Presbyterian. He, Before he left to go to America, he was at his local church. And you have to understand that at this time, the Presbyterians were really just kind of riven by sectarianism. So they were split up into various groups. And they only had communion every so often, only a few times a year. And um, Alexander Campbell was someone who had friends from very different walks of life. And many of these friends and mentors didn't belong to the same church that he belonged to. So, of course, you know, they couldn't receive. Um, and this sun, certain Sunday, he was um, at the church. It was a communion Sunday. The church was packed. Um, the preacher that was there was preaching and telling the community um, how horrible it would be if someone is not worthy to come forward to communion. And um, the fact is, to become worthy of communion, you had to um, basically receive a token. Um, This token was a way of saying that you were fit to receive communion. 
And when the time came forward for communion, people came and he came forward. Alexander Campbell came forward and um, he got his token. But all the while, he kept thinking about his friends, the friends that because they were not Presbyterian or not the right kind of Presbyterian, they would not be deemed worthy to receive communion. And he didn't think that that was the right thing. The communion was not supposed to be closed. It wasn't supposed to be exclusive. And when he, it was time for him to receive communion, he basically threw down his token. He did not take, he did not basically take the communion. That was in some ways pivotal. He, um, it was a, his final break with the Presbyterian Church, and it was what he became, he um, helped to find, found the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, which to this day practices communion for everyone. I share that because it just reminds me of the tale earlier that I shared um, where Doug said he was going to take communion um, to talk about racial justice. Communion, by its very nature, the fact of Christ remembering Christ's death on the cross is a way that draws everyone together. So it's really hard to hate someone else and then come and have communion. And I think that that's what Doug was getting at. It doesn't seem like communion has anything to do with um, social justice, but frankly, it has everything to do. Because communion is about everyone. Because Christ died for everyone. And if we can't understand that, then as Christians who are involved in the public square, our fight, our language becomes very dull indeed. Well, I want to thank uh, Doug for taking the time to uh, meet with me. And I want to take the time to say thanks for you to uh, join us in this discussion. Uh, make sure to visit our website at andrewpodcast.org. You can sign up to be on the mailing list of the newsletter, uh, listen to past episodes, or read past articles. And you can also, while you're at the website, consider making a donation. Your gifts will help to cover some of the costs that are associated with this podcast, and it allows me to continue to produce content that's worth a listen. You can, you can feel free to donate by going to the website at enroutepodcast.org backslash donate. Well, that is it for this episode of Enroute, Notes on Religion, Politics, and Culture. I'm Dennis Sanders, the host. Take care and Godspeed.